Welcome to Season 3 of Trying Our Best, a mother-daughter good place podcast. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Ayla. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 3 of The Good Place. So this episode spans about nine months in time, so it takes the humans through the first year of the experiment, and we really don't get to see that much of what's going on other than that it's working, they're studying philosophy, they're getting better. But the main thing that we do see is that Janet and Michael, if you remember from the end of the last episode, had run away from the judge and ended up back on Earth. And this whole time, they've been meddling with the humans to keep them together and to make sure that the experiment is going smoothly. So this episode is called The Snowplow. Why, Ayla? The Snowplow is a cover for cheating. Michael wanted to help the humans. And when Janet asked, is it cheating michael said it was like a snowplow clearing a path for the four humans to get to goodness the good place so what are some of the ways that janet and michael were snowplows for the humans in this episode what kinds of things did they help out to clear the way for them so eleanor was having money problems so she would have to get a job but if she got a job she would be missing some of her lessons. And Michael could not allow that. He he meddled and stole a lottery ticket. He didn't steal it. He bought it. Well, yeah, but... But they knew which one would be a winner. Yeah. So then he gave it to Eleanor, and Eleanor got $18,000. But she didn't see Michael give it to her. He just dropped it outside of her house. So part, an important part of this is that in the meddling, the humans don't know about Janet and Michael. They don't see them meddling. What are some other ways? Tahani and Jason were edging towards a relationship together, and Michael couldn't allow that either. So he hooked Tahani up with a, with a guy named Larry... We're going to talk more about Larry in just a moment. But just to wrap up this recap of this episode, it things are going really well, especially with Janet and Michael's help. And they go on that way for pretty much a full year. And Trevor's out of the picture. Everything's going smoothly. But it the experiment is just winding down. There's really no way to keep them together forever. And so... Michael is really worried about what's going to happen when the humans finally do split up. And he convinces Eleanor to try to keep everyone together. But that backfires because when they say, well, there really isn't a reason to keep this experiment going, Eleanor lashes out, throws a fit, throws a temper tantrum, acts very much like the old Eleanor. And that's where we're going to kind of pick up our deeper discussion of this episode. The first thing we're going to talk about is Larry Hemsworth. So this entire character is kind of a joke. There are three famous Hemsworth brothers, Chris Hemsworth, Liam Hemsworth, and Luke Hemsworth. And this show has created a fourth and less successful version of them named Larry. And so the joke is that he's incredibly insecure because his brothers are all very famous, even though he's very good looking, he's a successful pediatrician, he's just not a movie star like his three brothers. And so um, when him and Tahani get together, they kind of have that in common because she's always felt overshadowed by her sister. So we wanted to take that as an opportunity to talk about how should we judge our own success? Is it in relationship to other people or is it something that is measured just within ourselves? I'm not entirely sure, 
But I do think that um, it's okay to have role models. So you don't have to be exactly like your role model. It's very likely that your role model isn't perfect. And you don't have to be perfect either. It's just important that you try to be enough. So what does it mean to be enough? How do you know if you're being enough if you're not comparing yourself to somebody else? Sometimes you don't. It's, it's hard to tell when you're enough. So there's a common saying that says, don't let comparison be the thief of joy. And the idea here is that if you're always looking at somebody else's stuff, if you're always looking at somebody else's accomplishments, if you're always looking at what somebody else can do well, that you will never be happy with yourself because you'll always be able to find somebody who has, you know, prettier hair or a faster mile or a better house or what whatever it is, right? A nicer job, makes more money, has better clothes. Whatever it is that you think is important, you'll always be able to find somebody out there who has it better than you, at least in your estimation. And so if you're constantly comparing yourself to someone, then that is that it's going to steal your own chance at happiness, that you will always be miserable. But is it ever useful to compare ourselves to other people? Well, I feel like if you spend your whole life comparing yourself to other people, it could lower your self-esteem. But I also think that it could motivate you. So it's, it's a hard question. Is it like the trolley problem? Does it not have an answer? So I think that so many philosophy questions, the answer really is a little bit yes, a little bit no, and you've got to walk the balance between them. And this seems like one of them, right? If you don't compare yourself to others at all, you probably aren't going to find the motivation and the role models that you need to do your very best. But if you're constantly comparing yourself to them, then you aren't going to find the joy and acceptance and satisfaction that allows you to do your very best either. So if, you know, as our podcast is called Trying Your Best, I think that understanding that other people are out there as a source of motivation and inspiration is part of that, but also not letting yourself go too far in that direction where you don't recognize your own accomplishments, where you aren't happy with what you've done. And so you really do have to kind of use both sides of it and move back and forth between those perspectives to get to the best. And I think that's hard. I think that very few of us get it right all of the time. Let's get back to Eleanor's meltdown when she found out that the entire group was splitting up. So Eleanor throws an absolute fit and ends up hiding behind a tree outside where Simone sees her. And Eleanor at first lashes out at Simone again, but then is like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Can you help me understand why did I do that? You know, you're, uh, she calls her a brain doctor, but Simone is a neuroscientist. So she's like, can you help me understand why I made such a choice that I didn't want to? So... Simone brings up me versus us and us versus me. And she thinks that that is what is going on with Eleanor. So what Simone is saying here is that one of the first problems that humans had to overcome to become a society was me versus us. So the idea that I should only take care of myself is something that we had to overcome in order to do things like create governments and share our food and build roads. And it's something that we really kind of had to agree that I'm willing to give up a little bit of my own freedom in order to make things better for the collective. So that that's sort of the first problem. And then Simone goes on to say, 
um, that we're currently in the problem of us versus them, which is where things like racism and sexism come from. But she kind of glosses over that to go back and says, Eleanor, I think you're stuck in me versus us. You haven't accepted the fact that in order to be part of a group, you have to be a little bit vulnerable. You have to give up a little bit of your own freedom and put yourself out there in a way you might get hurt. Except for with the Brainy Bunch, you finally were part of a group. You really did identify with them. And when you saw that group breaking up and you saw it as a rejection of you, you lashed out because you were angry and hurt and you felt like you never should have been in a group to begin with. You wanted to just stay on your own. So Ayla, what do you think? Do you think that being part of a group requires some vulnerability? Yes, I do. I think that if you want to be friends with someone or in a group or something like that, then you will always be a little vulnerable of rejection. That's a really good point. And you also just kind of have to give up some of your own stuff, right? Like even just if you have a friend coming over for a sleepover and you want to watch a movie, but that friend doesn't like that movie. Well, now being part of that group, having that friend over means you have to negotiate more, right? means that you can't just do exactly what you want all the time. You have to take somebody else's feelings and thoughts into consideration. And I think that's why this was so hard for Eleanor, because all of the humans had a problem, and that's why they didn't get into the good place at first. And Eleanor's was her selfishness. So it seems like Simone has really hit the nail on the head that Eleanor, her big obstacle to overcome is that me versus us, being willing to give up some of the me in order to be part of an us. But it does seem like Eleanor has made progress on that part. And eventually the group agrees that they're going to get together at least once every summer and that they'll still be a group even if they aren't together all the time. And that brings us to our question of the day. How do you say goodbye? In this episode, we see a group that has been very close for a full year that has really helped each other out, splitting up, going their separate ways. And not because they got in some big fight, but just because the project is over. So our question is, what's the right way to say goodbye? Pause the podcast, think about it, talk about it, maybe write about it, and then come back. Welcome back. I think that it depends on what you're what you're saying goodbye about and how long you're leaving. Tell me more about that. When would it matter how long you're going to be gone? What if you're leaving forever? What if you never expect to get that group back together again? So what if you had one day with your friends and then you'd leave forever and never see them again? I think that this would have to be a pretty intense day because if you're never going to see somebody again, I think I would have to like spend an entire day with them to say goodbye. What are you trying to accomplish in that day? What is a good goodbye? What, what pieces of it are you trying to achieve before you leave forever? Well, a goodbye with my friends would involve a lot of junk food and pillows and stuffed animals. 
So it sounds like your goodbye is something that kind of leaves everybody with memories of why they were together in the first place and, and what was good about it. So you're kind of solidifying the best parts of it before it ends. Is that right? Yes, that's exactly what I would do. And, but what if you were only leaving for a day? So if you went to the park with somebody and then you had to go home, but you had plans to go to the park with them the next day, then I don't think you'd need as severe of a goodbye because you'd see them tomorrow. So I'd just say, bye, see you tomorrow. So there's this idea, there's a, the saying that t- tomorrow's never promised, right? So even if we have plans to see somebody tomorrow, something could happen that we might not, right? Maybe they have to move suddenly in the middle of the night or, you know, something comes up and we end up drifting apart and we don't see each other. So I think that it's important to think about the being able to tell people what they mean to us and why they're important to us when we have the chance because we don't always know when a goodbye is going to happen, right? So you, your points about the junk food and the stuffed animals and being able to really capture the joy and the importance of your friendships in the moment, that's something that we should kind of have in the back of our minds when we're with our friends, not taking them for granted and making sure that they know how important that relationship is to us. But it turns out our four humans might not have to say goodbye because at the end of the episode, we find out that Michael and Janet have been meddling and the humans walk in on them opening up a portal to the afterlife. So they're definitely going to have some explaining to do in the next episode. We'll be back to talk about it next week and we hope that you'll join us. 